Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com What's up, everyone? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lawrence. Today, we're joined by Tiffany Carwile from the Autism Alliance of Ohio to discuss cannabis's treatment and medicine for autism symptoms. So let's just get right into it. How's everybody doing? Tiffany, Tom, and Miggy, happy Sunday. Hey, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Thanks for joining us, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Did you have a good fourth? Uh, I did. I stayed home with my son. He's kind of hypersensitive to these kinds of holidays. He's mm. not a fan of fireworks. So my daughter's in Arizona visiting family and we just kind of had a chill day at home. So nice. Awesome. So our topic today is the activism. And uh, if you guys have questions at home, you can email me at Tom at collateralbase.com. And if I answer your question on the air, I'll also mail you a book that I wrote about 10 years ago. And that's how I met Miggy. Good news. I bought labels. Oh, shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> nice, but Anyway, hey, I'd like to, uh, to just take a moment, though. Uh, you know, we lost somebody last week. Uh, activism did. Yeah. Uh, one of the, uh, the DAGA couple. We had a guest from South Africa on here before, and the DAGA couple are huge. They are part of the reason why South Africa's legalization is where it's at. So uh, Julian, the, the husband, uh, was murdered during a, um, a robbery over, like, laptops. So Seriously? Yeah. It, one of the South a- African DAGA movements? <laughs> Yeah, the Man. the dagger couple themselves. Uh, dagger Julian, couple themselves. Yeah, the his name is uh, Julian Stobbs. Man, um, huge huge person that South Africa is definitely you know mourning for. Yeah, that's something we talk a lot about in the show is about law and also about like land races and and global uh, cannabis perspectives. But today, Tiffany is bringing us a message about uh, a medical application for it. Tiffany, can you tell us more about your organization? Um, yeah. And I'm sorry to hear about your loss. That's very tragic to hear. I mean, it's dire times we're in these days. It seems the world is getting, I don't know, lighter and darker in some areas. But my name's Tiffany. Um, I hail from Northwest Ohio. I'm 29. And I founded the Autism Alliance of Ohio back in 2017, shortly after my son was diagnosed with severe low-functioning autism. Um, and what I do is I'm essentially a medical uh, advocate and activist. I have been uh, petitioning the Ohio State Medical Board since 2017 uh, to incept autism as a qualifying condition for medical cannabis in Ohio. Um, like I said, I got started because my son was diagnosed in 2016 and I researched uh, the 
options that were available for uh, medically fra fragile children like my son and what I found just shocked and awed me. And I, from there, I just kind of segued into the symptoms and conditions that correlate with autism. Okay, well, what is my son going to be dealing with? Because autism is an inception spectrum condition. It entails not just autism spectrum disorder, but Asperger's syndrome, uh, pervasive developmental disorder, sensory processing disorder, and other conditions as well. So there's various layers to a condition like autism. Uh, so from there, I found a lot of correlating evidence uh, for symptoms and conditions that were treated by cannabis that correlate with autism, that kind of spiraled me in the direction of medical cannabis advocacy with my organization and talking to doctors, the general public, legislators about the evidence behind uh, cannabis as a safe, viable treatment option in opposition to, um, you know, manufactured pharmaceutical medications instead. So from there, I have been petitioning every year um, since uh, 2000. Okay, it was uh, 2017 when I started. So this has been the second time that I went around uh, with the Ohio State Medical Board. Um, and they they have opposition, um, which in turn, uh, <laughs> in turn segued into me reaching out to legislators. Uh, oh, wow. I actually emailed the entire uh, General Assembly in Ohio. I emailed all wow. 132 uh, General Assembly members. Did you tell them about Ohio? I'm sorry. Did you tell them about what they're doing in Oklahoma? Have you um, heard about Oklahoma's medical law? I have. Yeah. Where you can just, it's pretty much like a, a doctor's recommendation basis uh, yeah. from, what I, from what I understand. And yeah. Wide states, open. Yeah. And that's, that's ironic because 24 states, actually U.S. states um, allow autism as a qualifying condition in some way, shape, wow. or form. Either they incept it in their program as it is pediatric patients included, or they allow for like a clause like Oklahoma to where you um, can have it with a doctor's recommendation because they identify it as a lifelong debilitating condition. Um, wow. And I'd like to kind of talk about a little bit about autism and why I actually started advocating yeah. for autism in general, yeah. aside from um, my what I found with um, the science behind cannabis for autism, which I can get into um, in just a little, in just a little bit. But the 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 background behind autism is important as to why cannabis is such a safe, viable treatment option. So knowing about autism is just as important as knowing about why cannabis is so um, effective for for treating symptoms and conditions that are related to such a vastly broad and widely misunderstood condition. Um, it's, it's shocking how, how little, um, not even just, uh, the general public knows, but, uh, legislators and even people within the medical, medical profession, they are, um, Especially with they are at a loss for, because it's a, it's a, it's a broad, it's a spectrum condition. It's mm. not one size fits all. So this person has high functioning autism and so does this person, but this person has their own unique set of symptoms and conditions and so does this person. So you can never treat two autistic people, whether they're yeah. functioning, high functioning, somewhere in between the same way. So that's what I mean by saying even like medical professionals are kind of at a loss for this condition. It's so prevalent at this point and so vast that, how how can we manage a neurologically diverse condition like autism, right? Yeah, I don't know. But like, what are standard treatment options for autism spectrum? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about autism first, and then I can kind of segue into the treatment options because the I guess the history behind autism is why what what is available is available. Um, 
Autism spectrum dis uh, disorder refers to a group of complex uh, neurologically developmental disorders characterized by repetitive characteristics, behaviors, and patterns, um, difficulties with social communication, interaction, and since uh, I believe 2018 CDC statistics uh, put the prevalence rate at 1 in 59, um, which, ugh, gosh, what, a decade ago, it was 1 in 104 to 1 in 68, now 1 in 59. And actually, more recently, it's projected to be closer to be 1 in every 40. So the demographic and the prevalence is steadily increasing as, as time goes mm. on. Um, autism is a lifelong disability that can be overwhelmingly just devastating in a lot of ways, neurologically, physically, um, in, in the ways that it affects a person and their family um, and in society as a whole, to be honest, because like I said, as these prevalences increase, more families are being affected, meaning more schools are having to be built, special needs schools. This uh, The demographics within public schools are increasing. Um, more uh, more therapy interventions are having to be implemented in hospitals. More separate uh, therapy interventions are having to be built, like specialists, you know, facilities, and so on and so forth. So this affects society as a whole, not just the person diagnosed, as these prevalences increase. And what somebody with autism may experience. Um, including intellectual um, impairment, maybe behavioral aggression, self-injury, mood disorders. Uh, many with uh, autism spectrum disorder face underlying conditions like gut and brain inflammation, uh, oxidative stress, autoimmune dysfunction, uh, GABA and glutamide imbalance, mitochondrial disorders, and comorbid disorders like encolepathy, uh, IBS, Crohn's colitis, seizures, pain, <laughs> inception, nonception, uh, PTSD, Tourette's, TBI, the list goes on and on and on. And um, apraxia and dyprexia are actually inherent uh, within the diagnosis as it is. What's so apraxia and dyprexia? Um, it's just pretty much the way the brain uh, operates and receives certain sounds um, and, and the way like we see and hear things, the way that we perceive things within the brain. So it's kind of like a sensory overstimulation and it's, okay. it varies with each person and how it affects that person. Um, also, things like uh, um, uh, SPD, which I talked about, which is sensory processing disorder, uh, sleep, anxiety, feeding disorders, OCD, depression, ADHD. Um, those are all things that are included within a autism diagnosis. Now, one person is not going to have every single condition and symptom that I listed. However, comma, they are all subject to these symptoms and conditions. Yeah. And it varies with each person diagnosed. My son actually experiences a wide array of these symptoms and conditions, and he's six. So mm. if that gives you kind of a map, um, but he's on the more of the severe end of the spectrum. And I don't really like using labels, functioning labels, like high functioning and low functioning. But to people who don't understand autism, I guess, in a general sense, it kind of gives them a little bit of a map because like I said, it's a spectrum. So yeah. where somebody falls on the spectrum is where uh, their symptoms and conditions might uh, be more or less severe. Uh, so that's something that's very, very, very imperative to know about all of the underlying symptoms mm. and conditions that coincide, which makes autism an inception condition. So you can't just have one magic pill for autism, right? You yeah. can't just 
somebody one prescribed pharmaceutical pill and say, here you go. It's not a one size fits all diagnosis. There's no one size fits all medication, uh, manufactured pharmaceutical medication for autism. In fact, there's no pharmaceutical medication that can safely or effectively treat core symptoms that I listed within autism. Mm -hmm. The only two FDA approved medications are Abilify and Risperidone, and they are antipsychotics. Yeah, those are antipsychotics. Yes. And yeah. You might be wondering, good. why does Tom know the names of antipsychotics? <laughs> I can subscribe to find out. <laughs> that's, that's, I actually am curious to know, but I, I'm glad that people do. And I right. you do from your education, own life experiences, what have you, you know, people need to be educated about these medications because it's, there's actually um, documented proof to atypical antipsychotics uh, reducing brain mass, occurring mm. brain shrinkage in those uh, diagnosed with autism when they're exposed to these medications. And these are the only two FDA approved medications for autism. Now, that doesn't mean that those are the only medications allotted to our kids. Those are just the only two FDA approved medications that yeah. they say can treat uh, the irritability within autism. And ironically, in a good amount of cases, it actually spikes um, rage, which mm. increases irritability. Mm. And it also triggers things like self-injury and seizures. So yeah. it's risky. Um, and a lot of that, I think, has to occur with the brain damage that occurs with these pills. Because like I said, there are studies that have been done that show the brain shrinkage that occurs when they are subjected to the FDA-approved medications. And that's not even where it stops. Um, which is very, very, very just to me as a mother, aside from an, a special needs mom or an autism mom, it's disturbing yeah. and shocking. And it's this is what society endorses as safe. Children and adults with autism are often prescribed a variety of antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines, um, as well as stimulants, which is essentially legal meth. Um, yeah. In off-label, how many, how many uh, prescriptions? I don't mean to cut you off. I'm, I'm curious. But like, so like it varies. I, so there's no such thing. If I can, I can't ask you. Like, what's the average autistic person uh, being prescribed by their doctor? How many prescriptions are they on? You well, really can't say because it it varies. Yeah, but I can give you kind of a reference point, like with my son, which I'll do in just a second. Okay. Um, and other people, because I've been connected with so many different families over the course of my advocacy that I've kind of gotten like a span of like, like I said, it depends on where somebody lies on yeah. the and that doesn't ultimately mean that a high functioning individual won't be prescribed medications for things like inside, you know, insomnia, anxiety or depression, which are typically benzodiapines, which are highly addictive and are quietly becoming the new opioid crisis in our oh. country. Um, Unfortunately, but that's what our children are being exposed to. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, those with autism, children and adults included, are often prescribed antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines, and stimulants and untested off-label combinations in an effort to um, treat these symptoms and conditions that I just listed. Um, all of the symptoms and conditions that tie in and correlate with autism, aside from irritability alone. And you have to think, if somebody is taking um, an antipsychotic medication, they're also going to experience side effects, which are going to um, occur, uh, which are more likely unfortunately going to have more uh medications to be prescribed yeah. to offset the side effects but then it's a, it's a domino effect and it's ongoing yeah. so like what tom said about how many prescriptions can somebody be prescribed that is an open-ended question my friend because it spans my son just okay he was diagnosed um with autism in 2016 he's also been diagnosed with uh tourette's 
um, GI issues, uh, seizures, and uh, PTSD as well. So um, last year, he was hospitalized for GI issues. And (laughs) the GI medication that they wanted my son on spiked him to have convulsive seizures, uh, which led to more medications because they wanted my son on Klonopin to manage these seizures, which is a benzo, um, which is dangerous which i'm sure you yeah know. i'm just saying more- like heath ledger right an overdose of clonopin and yeah uh, like a cocktail so. of other stuff well that's what they prescribed my five-year-old son and i heard a lot uh, like they don't prescribe benzos to children that young they don't prescribe benzos to people under 18 yes they do yes they do yeah same situations and severe cases like my son and even not in severe cases like my son to where they're running out of options because nothing else is working or it's causing all these other symptoms and conditions they're getting more prescriptions allotted to them between two of my son's conditions his seizures because he had a history of silent seizures his entire life he never convulsive seizures the mm. medications that they had him on spiked the convulsive seizures. So for the seizures and the GI medications alone, my son would have to take over 300 pills a month. Wow. Six different prescriptions Um, just for two of these conditions. Now, mind you, my son's core diagnosis of autism is why are these other diagnoses? The GI issues are, are occurred because of the autism, because he has sensory issues. He has issues with certain textures and foods and flavors and things like that. Therefore, leading to GI issues ultimately caused by autism. The silent seizures, uh, 30% of the demographic of autism is subjected to have seizures at some point in time in their life. Again, ties back to his autism, his PTSD, his anxiety when he goes different places and his memories attached to it, like the grocery store, the doctors, Um, fireworks, for instance, like I mentioned in the beginning, he doesn't like that's a PTSD condition stemmed from autism because he doesn't understand what's going on around him. He doesn't understand what the 4th mm. of July is or what fireworks are. So it causes this PTSD anxiety kind of reaction, therefore making it a comorbid condition of autism. And that's where people get kind of confused um, as to how all these other conditions can ultimately tie back into autism as a whole. Mm. But it all started with his autism diagnosis, even the Tourette's. Um, the definition of Tourette's and autism are actually kind of similar. It's repetitive speech and behavior and uh, issues with social functioning. That's yeah. very prevalent in both conditions. So therefore being a comorbid condition of autism. Um, well, with that, um, I went through a horror story with my son with pharmaceutical medications and I uh, was able to wean him off, um, thankfully. And <laughs> um yeah. It led to an entire steamroll effect. I refused to give my son the medications that were causing him harm. Um, And like I said, those were just for two of his conditions, not even, you know, the Tourette's or the PTSD or anything like that, just the GI and the seizures. So I refused to give him any more medications. I weaned him off. And the doctors at Mercy Children's Toledo Hospital, um, someone in their office reported me to CPS. Child Protective Services got involved. Well, I was, it was unsubstantiated. They couldn't prove me to be. um, But they reported your ass. Yes, they did. Um, And that's that's the kind of situation our parents are being put into. And that's why I wanted to even because it's not something I like to flaunt. Woohoo, CPS got called on me. Such a great thing. It's no, but then, well, no, yeah. You know, you have to go through that. The holistic approach should always be the first. We're being forced into using these medications. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's wrong. That's medical terrorism. Um, for one, especially when 17 states permit autism as a qualifying condition as as a whole in itself and an additional seven other states allow the doctor's recommendation. And yeah. aside from that, um, these symptoms and conditions that my son has are all um 
uh, like I said, comorbid conditions of autism, there's 21 qualifying conditions in Ohio as a, as a whole. 10 out of those 21 conditions are symptoms and conditions of autism that closely correlate and coincide. So um, it seems entirely hypocritical to me that doctors uh, feel like they can wave their medical pendulum yeah. over us and totally. to, they accuse me of child abuse when yeah, what yeah. they were doing to my son was abusing him. They, uh, the medication they gave him made him lethargic and made him self injure. He, I had his self injury pretty well under control. Um, it <laughs> rage attacks started to occur, seizures, uh, but I was the one abusing myself, right? The argument is like, why not a plant? Why not this natural right. thing? Why can't this be my first option? And, and, and throughout that, though, what Tiffany, what kind of support? I mean, you're, you're new to this, you've been doing this for two years when your, your son got diagnosed, so you're trying to work around again. We all know the endocannabinoid system, we're all individual little snowflakes are all different so not everything's the same for anybody but what network did you see for uh for autism for kids because there's plenty of them out there for cancer for um uh, seizures but is there anything out there for autism for you is there any networks that you found that you well, there, decided... sorry there are various oh, okay. avenues um grassroots advocacy uh like myself the autism alliance of ohio is a grassroots advocacy group that started uh, to raise awareness there is whole plant access for autism out of pennsylvania which is a medical cannabis for autism advocacy group um mama which is a uh, mother's advocating medical marijuana for autism which is where um the group that i initially started with but they've kind of ultimately kind of disbanded into more of like a um a directional group to kind of help you point you in the direction that you need legally because some states are petition based and some states you mm. have to file a bill um and some states are both which ohio is both you can do it either way so they've become more of like a directional group versus like i guess an outright advocacy group but there are but it's not um it's it's more like state to state kind of thing um there's yeah, nothing you're in illinois we have uh, on our conditions we have aut uh, mm -hmm. autism was added in like 2015 late and then you're in ohio so pennsylvania to the east of you do they have autism as a qualifying condition yes they do what about um, michigan to the north yes they do have you ever considered relocating for treating your son i have um but i would be um abandoning 44,000 Ohio kids that are depending on me. And right now I'm actually in a position to where I have introduced, um, I've, I'm actually in cahoots with an Ohio state representative. Uh, wanting nice. To, write, I, nice. Um, yeah. to introduce legislation uh, to add autism as a qualifying condition, which I will talk about um, mm. in just a moment. Um, one thing I want to highlight, um, aside from the symptoms and conditions that correlate with autism is life expectancy. Aside from, uh, Aside from medications or anything in general, just autism as a whole, the average life expectancy for the severely impacted community is just under 40 years old, around 36 years Aww. of age, organically, because of the autism diagnosis. And that's for the more severely impacted community, mind you. And the, the high-functioning community can be tied to this, too, because they're actually nine times more likely to commit suicide than neurotypical people. So the average life expectancy for those diagnosed is just under 40. That's organically. Aside from any of these manufactured pharmaceuticals being um, putting into the mix. So the general population versus the general population, which is what, about 72 years of age. So that's, that's about half the life expectancy, actually less than half the life expectancy of the general population. So that's pretty scary as it is. Um, 
roughly 30 to 50% of those with autism, like I said, have considered suicide. Uh, the high functioning community, despite being prescribed wide amounts and arrays of antipsychotics and antidepressants are still nine times more likely to commit suicide. And aside from injury studies, um, and what I was quoting uh, for the mortality was actually from a 2008 Danish study that actually concurred um, that the uh, mortality rate was about two and a half times more likely versus the neurotypical community. Um, and aside from these injury studies, the three main killers of our kids include seizures, suicide, and heart-related issues. All three of these you will find on the most commonly prescribed side effects for the FDA-approved medications that are most uh, commonly prescribed to our kids, um, including uh, common black label side effects such as suicidal thoughts, seizures, respiratory issues, heart complications, arrhythmias, heart failure, and sudden death. I submitted uh, the black label warnings for just uh, risperidone and Abilify, and between those two medications, aside from any other antidepressants, stimulants, benzodiazepines, were roughly about 200 pages collectively in the black label warning, which is all of the side that it entails. Wow. Those are the two main pres prescriptions that are given to our kids, uh, FDA approved prescriptions. And I can't even yeah. say the two main because a lot of our kids are walking around on benzodiapines and uh, stimulants and antidepressants and so on and so forth. Because benzos, like I said, they're the, they're the category of drugs that are uh, classified um, and categorized and given to people with like depression, insomnia, anxiety very three common prevalent conditions that coincide with autism. And there's a whole mess of drugs that fall under these categories. You so know what's interesting about that mess of drugs? I bet the vast, vast, vast majority of them, I mean, at least their precursors, uh, their research began before 1992 or 1993 when we found out what anandamide was wow. and what our uh, our endocannabinoid system is. And so, like, we haven't mentioned efficacy, medical efficacy at all yet for treating autism in any of its uh, very complicated and complex forms with cannabis. And uh, I see that there's a lot of problems with the amount of uh prescription drugs that are there and then the side effects they can give. But uh, what, if any, in those states that do allow it, are we seeing um, uh, patients being treated with cannabis and how successful is that? I'm glad that you brought that up because um, the endocannabinoid system and andanamide was what my next topic, to be quite honest. Um, so how can cannabis treat a complex condition, a neurological condition like autism? The key is in the endocannabinoid system, literally embedded within our genetic code. We are all organically born with an endocannabinoid system. It develops within gestation when we're still in the womb. So it's it's very common. It, it, endocannabinoids actually occur within breast milk. So a lot of people are very um, misinformed or uninformed, and it's it's very sad. They didn't even teach the endocannabinoid system education in, med in you know medical school. Yeah. Um, so a lot of doctors even still have kind of fallen to the wayside. I've actually educated um, neuroscientist PhD doctors about uh, specifics within uh, the endocannabinoid system and autism and its correlation. Um, and what the endocannabinoid system is to kind of, I guess, dissect what it is for people who don't know, um, the endocannabinoid system represents a network of lipid signaling pathways regulating pretty much any bodily function you can think of. Our nervous system, our reproductive system, our just... Our, our circulatory system, any uh, functional system within your body is ultimately managed by the endocannabinoid system. It, like I said, it's a signaling pathways. It sends these signal receptors uh, to various parts of your body. 
and regulating a lot of a lot of these functions is, is very imperative, especially for somebody with a neurological disorder, because you're, you're going to find severe offsets in symptoms, behaviors, and so on and so forth. Ironically, a lot of this can be tied back to deficits within the endocannabinoid system. Research from Stanford University actually showed uh, that children with autism have lower levels of plasma andanamide within their um, ECS system. And what andanamide is, is the specific endocannabinoid that mimics THC in the body and in the brain. And it's crucial for learning, social functioning, easing anxiety, um, and a various wide array of other things as well. And you think, what are the typical difficulties with autism? Learning, memory, easing anxiety, social functioning, and so on. So the deficit of andanamide and the correlation between the two is an imperative knowledge to have. And there's substantial evidence um, that supports the utilization of whole plant uh, organic uh, cannabis as a safe, viable, effective treatment for autism. Uh, there has been various uh, studies done. <laughs> Obviously, uh, the United States is not as medically progressive as other uh, countries. So there's you been can only fund the harm research, yeah. Yeah. only fund really the harm. But no, that's ironic that you say that because there's actually U.S. funded studies that have been done on cannabis for autism in Israel, in uh, the U.K., in Great Britain, uh, Brazil, Chile, wide arrays of studies. Um, I know specifically the Israel study uh, was funded by the U.S. So um, they, the proof is there and there, there are ties because the answer is always there's not enough evidence, but they're funding this, these studies and this evidence. So the evidence is there and they call it um, anecdotal evidence because there's not mm -hmm. um, any trials going on um, that have been, I guess, profound enough on U.S. soil. However, comma, <laughs> sorry, however, comma, um, the schedule and status puts a big hindrance on that. So people are having to do these small collective studies that are going on in places like Pennsylvania um, to where they're just pretty much like reporting um, in legal states uh, the progress that these people are making, these individuals that are diagnosed that do have legal access and documenting how it helps them with hyperactivity, sleep, and so on and so forth, and comparing it to studies that have been done um, like in Israel and in, in the UK and Chile and so on. Um, have you- I think that's uh, why they may fund them in other countries because yeah. the, the DEA and the schedule it's one weird. substance will prevent it from being done here. But then also if they're funding it somewhere else, they can, they can just bury it to be like, Oh no, yep. no, they, and let's not they forget that, come out on that. You know, this, this, this plant should be a first option. Like we, we just yeah. totally, the, the government seems to negate the whole holistic option. Like, like her, like vitamin C, if, if, if your baby had scurvy, you would give them scurvy. Cause in the end we live in this medical hypocrisy where, Western medicine is supposed to be the best medicine, which is in general common sense, right? But like here we have another uh, a viewer, commenter, Jesse Burden. Uh, he's in Tennessee. His son has epilepsy at 13, and his son's taking a bunch of pills. But, you know, instead we're making criminals just like like you, uh, you know, Tiffany, with the CPS showing up at your door. And Jesse, who lives in Tennessee, God forbid, I wouldn't imagine. They're medical. No. They're medical. God bless you, Tennessee. I hope you, uh, hope you, <laughs> you stay safe, man. But uh, uh, Tiffany, it's just it's just always should be a first option. So what are you finding for your boy? Are you finding indica, sativa? How are you finding the, the right treatment for him for his best 
what, what best suits his needs. Cause uh, you know, all of this, everybody that asks us questions about like how much I want to start smoking weed again, just because it's Monday, I want to smoke weed or I want to treat my cancer. I'm worried each, about my anandamide levels. Yeah. And that's the thing we can't, you have to take a diary. You have to have a journal. You have to know yourself. You have to know the, the person you're treating. So like, what are you guys doing to, to, to find your boys right mix? Um, right now, uh, my son, um, <laughs> he he has his card and right now it's it's been a battle because of cps i just got cps off me so um i'm kind of having to push the reset button on all of that uh what is allowed in ohio is very minimal for especially pediatric patients they don't allow us to i guess really pick and choose on a lot of things um we're only allowed to use tinctures um so it's it's not really controlled by us in ohio which sucks because like a Okay, like example, like this person has insomnia, this person has insomnia, but this person has this prescription with this dosage, and this person has a completely different prescription with that dosage. It's not a like I always say, it's right. not a one size fits all. Same yeah. with same with cannabis, it's not a one size fits all medication. So people ask me about um, what cannabinoids and terpenes, and that all, all honestly depends on the person diagnosed because they are unique in their symptoms and conditions, just like with manufactured pharmaceuticals. People are unique in their symptoms and conditions and their needs. It's the state stranglehold that doesn't allow people to get the kind of relief that they need because they're not basing it around the patient. They're basing it around profits. They're basing it around money and they're basing it around control and power. So it's really, really kind of hard right now to map, especially state to state, what works best. I mean, there has been some obviously proof coming out of legal states and so on and so forth. But like I said, everyone is unique. Everyone is an individual. So what works for me doesn't work for you or what works for him doesn't work for, you know, it's just, it's an ongoing thing. So it's, <laughs> I actually just started dipping my toe into even talking about my son again, because part of the reason I got CPS at my front door was because of my advocacy, because I was openly talking about medical cannabis at the doctor's office. We are trying to change people's kids. minds. God we forbid you were bad guy. Get her, get her. I should be able to discuss because my son has clothing conditions the options that are available. And I was told by Mercy Children's Toledo Hospital that I would not be able to bring my son on site with cannabis medication. They would not treat him um, or anything like that. The only hospital that I'm aware of in Ohio that is receptive to pediatric cannabis medication is Akron's Children's Toledo, or no, not Toledo, Akron's Children's Hospital. Um, How far so away is that? For me, it's about three hours. So three hours. It's yeah. And actually, I had to drive all the way to Cleveland, Clearhouse State, in about three hours again to even get my son his medical card um, and to even get a doctor to like to thoroughly evaluate him. Because a lot of these symptoms and conditions that I listed earlier, you know, the seizures, the um, intellectual disability, the anxiety, you know, just all of these symptoms and conditions, the GI issues, even in uh, the PTSD type symptoms, Tourette's type symptoms, it's often wrote off as just autism because so many people with autism have all of these symptoms and conditions that coincide or kind of like, like I said, like layers, like it's an inception condition, but it's yeah. often written off as just autism. Oh, that's just autism. And unfortunately I had a story of a family, um, a couple years ago in Ohio, and I leave them anonymous because I want them to have their privacy, but they let me share their story. Well, their son um, had history of seizures, and he was never able to get a seizure diagnosis because the seizures were not prevalent or severe enough. So this child suffered off and on his entire life with seizures, and uh, he was eight years old. And on Thanksgiving Day, he had a fatal seizure and died. 
oh. and, and also seizure and die. Now, if this child was to be able to be medically assessed in a um, sympathetic way, that was to, I mean, because the evidence is there with yeah. people that have these, you know, symptoms and conditions, it's there. Parents record, you know, episodes and so on and so forth. But doctors always base it off what they see face value, you know, within a 30 minute consultation in a doctor's office. Yeah. So, and you're not allowed to bring your cannabis into that consultation. So you can't show it to him working. Right. Yeah. We need to change the conversation around it. Because what if this child was able to get a seizure diagnosis? And what if this child was able to get access to medical cannabis? Would this kid still be alive? Yeah. You know, that's the kind of conversations that we need to be having. Not that, oh, that just comes with the territory of autism. No, not that it just comes with the territory of autism. That our children suffer because this comes with the territory of autism. Right. And it's it's terrifying because you have the option as a parent. But we don't. And that's, yeah. and that's that's the sad thing. Like I said, 17 states. There's Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Texas, Nevada, New Mexico, Maine, Illinois, Utah, Colorado, Iowa, the territory of Puerto Rico and Missouri <laughs> are all states that allow all states. The only thing that depicts this as a criminal act is my zip code. And if I wasn't yeah. who I am being so vocal in the advocacy community, I don't even think that my son would be able to obtain his medical card. And even when he did, I had people coming after me. Yeah, the only <laughs> thing you're doing is legislative change. You're just doing civil, it's not even disobedience. You're trying to follow the law. You are doing civics. You are engaging yeah. in the democratic process and, and helping the legislation happen the way that it should. And, you know, isn't that American? What the heck right. are yeah. these Gestapo tactics coming to try to you know, prevent you from exercising your free speech rights to have the laws <laughs> be reflected according to how they actually should be? Boy, yeah. it's it's very there's a lot of gray area. It's like this is a legal program, but we're still deemed as criminals. We're it's, it's it's like they peg us in a hole either way. They try to force us into the hole of pharmaceutical medications. But when we opt for other legal options, we have CPS knocking on our door. How is yeah. this fair? I've heard stories of other parents who are medical cannabis patients themselves, and they have their cards and they're facing CPS and jail time for being legal patients in Ohio as well. So the hypocrisy within our state around this legal program is very real. There's a lot of gray area here. There's no laws that protect us. There's a law that put forth this medical cannabis initiative in Ohio, HB uh, House Bill 523, um, that passed in 2016, incepted medical cannabis into Ohio. But there is no, I mean, there's there's legal terminology within this bill itself, but there's so much gray area that's not covered that there's nothing protecting us as patients. Like get this, for instance, Ohio cards are accepted in Michigan where the prices are substantially cheaper because their program Ooh. overall is more operational, functional, it's been up and running for a long time now. It uh, also faces a lot less opposition and stigma. It sounds like you're not the first person from Ohio we've been had on. And Ohio yeah. is starting to sound like one of them. Just uh, not great. Like, you know, well, they don't seem yeah. receptive at all. And they just seem so derisive toward the plant. And yeah. so it's... Strange. What? Yeah. They're very, yeah, it's. Why, Tiffany? Why is Ohio such a shit show? Because you do have medical, but yeah, even with adults too, because our guests that previously been on, uh, one was Peggy and uh, uh, Glenn, who were facing prosecution, finally settled after a year and a half of just floating in courts. Like, and then at the same time, while they were floating for a year and a half, there was other cases being turned over because they had cards. Like, mm -hmm. what is the this non linear thinking in Ohio? Because it is medicine. It's safer than alcohol. It's something that uh, in society we can be 
it's it's not the end of the world. Hell, I live in Seattle. I'm I'm Seattle poor, and if I was in Ohio, I'd I'd be a fucking millionaire. I'm just saying, like the the thinking that cannabis is going to turn your world poor or you know mess whatever it, it doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, the the worst thing that's happening is the fact that it's legalized. Right. I wish I had a solid answer for that question. Um, it's just <laughs> Ohio is, is <laughs> kind of. Um, unique in its own way to where laws vary, obviously, just like in any state from county to county, things like that, things are run differently. So a charge here is going to be different from a charge, you know, another county over kind of thing. And um, mm. a lot of people fell into this trap to where they uh, got their medical card before the program was actually launched. So they got their doctor's recommendation, right? Um, saying that they are qualified for cannabis, but uh, medical cannabis didn't even become operational until uh gosh, it was, it was like a year behind, um, until, uh, 2018, beginning of 2018. Um, so these people were already pre-approved. So they're thinking like, okay, you know, maybe I can, whatever, you know, it's legal. It's okay. Um, and some people fell into that trap because Ohio took so long to open up their dispensaries. Um, and there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of legal gray area. There's nothing saying that we can't be, that we are protected from unlawful search and seizure. Like I said, in Michigan, Michigan takes Ohio cards, Ohio uh, dispensary cards, caregivers, patients, whatever. Um, so I could go get, you know, product hypothetically speaking, um, in Michigan legally, and then bring it back to Ohio. But here's the thing is it's legal for me to do so, but it's not legal for me to cross state lines. So if somebody were to come and, you know, a cop were to come and do an un pretty much an unlawful search and seizure because it's legal medication, they would use that legal loophole that I went over state lines to get it, even though, okay, why are we accepting Ohio cards in Michigan then? Like, why, why is this a thing? If you're going to go to Michigan and you ran out of uh, medicine. You're not allowed to bring that medicine back, though. Even that's though that's what they would say. Yeah, it, but then like it's it's all the levels of bullshit that but, is just yeah. everywhere in the the laws about the plant, and and it has to do a lot with the the federal uh, status that as where it sits right now. It sucks. A lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, it's just it's just a lot of overlapping. Like I said, like what laws um, are in this county or in this county or from this yeah. state? Why are we? Why are we? They're pretty much setting people up. Like I said, even with uh, parents who are looking for other options for their children who face comorbid symptoms and conditions, we're putting in the you know they're putting us in positions to be criminals either way. Yeah. In Ohio, uh, you can't use insurance to cover medical cannabis in any way, shape, or form at all so it's it's widely and it's widely overpriced um as it is it's very expensive in ohio how so much is an eighth it depends on the dispensary it's it yeah. and i can't get eighths for jackson so i can't i can't even buy that i can only yeah. get for him so i can't even really tell you because they won't even let me because i'm a caretaker my card you know for him so restrictive like the access and then it's okay. so strange it's just not like oklahoma or medical in washington state 20 years ago yeah, you know, Tiffany mentioned earlier how um, it's kind of a domino effect, right? Where the, uh, if, if, if medical cannabis was legal, would that child still be alive? And we have a comment here by Lucy Bullen. And then, unfortunately, this is the problem with cannabis. It's, it's, we're, we're constantly full of anecdotal evidence of the opposite, of the fucked up shit, right? Yeah. You know, this it's is what the she opposite asked. of what they say the justification at the federal level is. Yeah, so add that to your list of fucked up people who had fucked up things and questioned if every day their kid could be alive because can't. And that's what brings me back, I guess, to you asked me about going to Michigan or moving. I can't, I can't leave the, okay, like I said, there's 44,000 people the alone yeah. diagnosed 
Ohio, and that's just the kids, 44,000 kids in Ohio diagnosed. And that's last year's statistics. So obviously those numbers are increasing and I'm not even including the adults or the misdiagnosed or undiagnosed demographics and communities. So seeing that comment just like teared me up a lot because that's, I I feel the weight of 44,000 children resting on my shoulders. If I don't speak up about this, who will? A lot of this community, a big demographic, a big portion of this demographic community is nonverbal. And it's mm. a shame. And it, it's, it's really, really hard because who's going to speak up for the people who can't speak up for themselves? And people are quiet. People are way less likely to speak out if they think that they're going to expose, risk their family or risk their job because they're, they're basically saying, oh, no, this crime shouldn't be a crime. You know, your entire life higher. I was a chef for years before I dedicated my life to advocacy and what I'm doing now. Um, I gave up my house and moved into an apartment, gave up my career and uh, founded the Autism Alliance of Ohio. And I have been working every day since towards um, helping children, not just in Ohio, because this this movement goes beyond Ohio. Like, yes, we're talking about, you know, Ohio statistics and things like that. But autism affects over three million people in this in this country. It is more prevalent than childhood AIDS, cancer, cerebral palsy, sorry, cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy and AIDS combined in children more prevalent combined. So this this is something that needs to be addressed with the mortality rate being two and a half times higher than the neurotypical community without these pharmaceutical medications being factored in. This is something that people need to be talking about aside from everything else. And And when we factor in these other wide arrays of untested medications, the risk of harm increases significantly, only meaning the mortality rates increase and the life expectancy decreases. How much further can our kids' life expectancy decrease beyond 36 to where people are going to start, you know, being unsettled by this? And that's where I had opposition with the Ohio State Medical Board is because they have hesitation on pediatric cannabis for autism. Hold the phone. Pediatric cannabis is already permitted in Ohio. Okay. Four Mm -hmm. symptoms and conditions that closely coincide with autism, like PTSD, seizures, Tourette's, uh, GI issues, uh, encolopathy, TBI, and so on, which are all conditions of autism. So if autism is one condition that entails 10 out of the 21 qualifying conditions in Ohio, Mm -hmm. and pediatric cannabis is already permitted in Ohio, what what is what is the real reason behind it? I mean, it's 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 honestly it's money. Um, they say not enough research, not enough evidence, hesitation on pediatrics. But when it all boils down to it, twenty four states in some way, shape, or form allow this medication, pediatric patients included. The evidence is obviously there. When you have conservative states like Texas allowing cannabis for autism, pediatric patients included. Yeah. That's a huge signal. That's not just because they tried to say that it's a fad treatment. That's what the Ohio State Medical Board's um, opposition um, opposers said, that it's a fad treatment. How is this a fad treatment? I don't know. But I bet if you ask yeah. that opposition person, if he knew what anandamide was, he would have not a shred of clue what you're talking about. That's the funny thing. There's actually a huge conflict of interest there. One of their opposition um, people that they had to come in to discuss, um, I guess, an opposition point to uh, reject my petition was um, from uh, GW Pharmaceuticals, uh, Dr. Oh, Anna, um, who uh, had a first hand um, had a first hand in the clinical trials for Apetalex and Sativex for conditions, um, seizure conditions that actually tie to autism, like epilepsy and uh, right. lupus syndrome. So. Ironically, there's a huge conflict of interest there. 
He helped run those trials in Patel, and he was one of the ones who opposed uh, my petition. Like I said, I submitted over 500 pages of evidence, but they said that there's not enough. Okay. <laughs> so what they said is that it's a premature decision, hesitation on pediatrics and so on. So um, ironically enough, GW Pharmaceuticals, um, sorry, my desk, uh, same, same company in Great Britain is actually funding cannabis for autism research right now. Um, there's a study that started in April of 2019 with 100 participants ages 5 to 18, so pediatric patients, um, using uh, CB, uh, CBDV, which is a hybrid cannabinoid of CBD, very popular. Um, CBD and THC are the two of the main uh, cannabinoids utilized in treatment for autism spectrum disorder yeah. all across the nation. Um, people typically uh, use re uh, varying ratios depending on the diagnosis. A lot of uh, ratios that have been used in like the Israel's trials and studies have been like 20 to 1 or 6 to 1, which would be the CBD to THC ratio. Uh, but what we found um, in Great Britain is that CBDV uh, is actually um, a very uh, positive anti-seizure medication within cannabis. And when you utilize uh, CBDV, it actually alters the electrical activity within uh, the brains of those diagnosed with autism, and it actually helps reduce spikes in disruptive aggression and hyperactive behaviors, allowing the person brain, um, which is essentially linked to synopsis, the overwiring in the brain, which links to the yeah. overwhelming uh, bouts of anxiety and fear and so on that one may experience when they're diagnosed. So this helps kind of slow those reactions down. And CBD and CBDV and THC have been found to be substantially uh, progressive in those areas, allowing um, this person to cognitively function better, uh, to be quite honest, because when you're having an anxiety attack or an overwhelming, you know, about if you're not thinking clearly, when you're able to slow these processes down, you get um, a better, a better uh, receptive response, not only from your body, yeah. but from your brain overall. And somebody who's neurologically diverse and suffers an andanamide deficit, mm. what other than cannabis is going to supplement in such a viable way that not only addresses the behavioral um issues and tics and associations that one may have with an autism spectrum diagnosis, but the comorbid symptoms and conditions as well. What are the, what other medication other than cannabis is going Especially to that's, that that's safe, yeah. you know, like with the yeah. safety profile of cannabis. Non-toxic. Let's just go yeah. there. Non-toxic. But so, okay. go ahead. You make, you have, I was going to say, because this is a, we all know GW is the big bad wolf. I mean, they're whatever, but I always like to try and use evil against itself. Could we say, if this test, this whatever, because they actually have a, an autism specific test, what if they just at the end if they prove yes, these two components of cannabinoids are the ones, blah, blah blah, and then you say, you know what, my plant has that, and so thank you for proving that my plant's the one that's going to do it. I mean, it might and help you. No, I mean it will. It's like it's a collective over time, and it's and it's not just GW as it's in the whole. It's more or less U.S. GW versus international GW. GW Great Britain is the one who's actually funding the autism research. GW in the U.S. is funding seizure-related uh, conditions uh, for apetalex and sativex. However, they it's it's essentially almost like they're doing autism research in general with researching these seizure conditions because they're so commonly implicated and comorbidly uh, coincide with autism as a whole. So they're unknowingly doing research as they're, as, they're, as they're trying to dodge it, because that's what I do, is I find the correlating studies and I submit them because, okay, if you're not gonna directly study autism and cannabis, I'm going to find um, 
pretty much <laughs> just uh, dissect other other you know research studies that have been done as well that correlate because it's it's all substantial evidence either way. And one thing that I said last year is if ten out of the twenty one conditions are comorbid conditions of autism, and there's proof of it within the medical diagnosis itself, and there's enough substantial evidence for all of those ten conditions, shouldn't there be more than enough? evidence to put autism on as a qualifying condition. And since <laughs> the board has been so resistant to add any new qualifying conditions, they actually um, said last year that they're resistant because they do not have the authority in Ohio to remove a condition once it's added and they cannot restrict pediatric use. So they pretty much want to play God in the sense that something could be a qualifying condition one day, but they want the authority to remove it if they deem it to not be later on, on their own accord, which in my opinion, if there's enough substantial evidence to submit a petition, if there's enough substantial evidence to provide that this is, you know, medically justified, then they shouldn't have the authority to do so. That's not what they're there for. They're there to oversee what should or shouldn't be a qualifying condition, but they're not even doing that, which yeah. is why I reached out to 132 Ohio General Assembly members and sent nice. them my entire petition, all 500 plus pages of it with a cover letter explaining what's going on, what our kids are dealing with, the medications that they're subjected to, the, the domino effect that's happening and how our parents are pretty much our kids are dying because of autism um, as it is. And yeah. they're being put in positions to where they're running out of options. So they're exposing their kids to these dangerous medications and it's only increasing the mortality rate for our kids. If their excuse is that our kids aren't old enough, that's, that's, cruel in my opinion yeah. because by the time that they get old enough to have access in their opinion they could be dead let's be real so i reached out to uh like i said the general assembly in ohio and i uh connected with house representative juanita brent and collectively we have uh together we have put forth house bill 641 um which already has a wealth of co-sponsors which is shocking because these like this is a very stigmatized topic cannabis and uh, by itself ohio especially yeah. by itself yeah. Pediatric cannabis and autism all together. So it's a huge stigma topic, yeah. huge stigma conversation. So we, we're pretty much essentially right now we're going around the medical board. I'm tired of um, pretty much playing by their rules because even when I do, they just pretty much they use scapegoat answers. And that's all they're doing. They have no viable retort for me because yeah. every single response that they've given me, I've come back with, okay, well, pediatric cannabis is already permitted. Okay, well, 17 states already allow it, so it's not a fad treatment. Okay, yeah. well all this evidence, here's 500 pages, you know, it's not, you know, cause they say the evidence isn't there. So I'm tired of, I guess, getting the runaround. So thankfully you're not fighting for the case of the Mondays. You're fighting for a legit freaking disease. Like this, why not? Why not give it an option? Like these people are pushing back over, they're keeping you in 1950s what they're doing. And they're, they're also putting kids lives at risk. That's it. Exactly. That's, that's honestly, that's what it is. And we need to change the, the conversation around it because that's ultimately what it comes down to. It comes down to people's lives, people's livelihoods, their quality of life. Um, in the Israel studies, it showed that the quality of life for not just the people in the, those diagnosed, but for the families, their quality of life more than doubled when their children had access to medical cannabis. Yeah. And there's other studies that have showed improvements in uh, self-injury, rage, hyperactivity, sleep, anxiety, depression, restlessness, rage attacks, seizures, and so on. Those are all the lot of the main comorbid symptoms and conditions that manufactured pharmaceuticals don't even touch. So what we need to do is we need to we need to look at what we can do to improve the quality of life for those with autism, not just in Ohio, but nationally, internationally, and all across the globe. The cost of not doing so comes at the expense of innocent lives, children, mind you. We must urge those in the medical community as well as the general population to change how we observe and talk about autism. The cost of not doing so is 
excruciatingly painful, not just for my family, but for hundreds of thousands of other families that are that are attached. And it's a very definite statement of how society as a whole treats autistic people and their families. Um, the resistance that we feel when we um, are trying to explore a safer, more therapeutic, you know, therapeutic option for our children. Um, I would much rather have my, my son on a organic plant than a handful of over 300 pills a month to only manage two of his symptoms and conditions. So well, not only that, the one that actually stimulates the uh, anandamide pathways for his endocannabinoid system, which is imbalanced. All these other things, they don't touch the endocannabinoid system. They were they were designed before they even knew what the endocannabinoid system was. They honestly, and a lot of medications cause further deficits. And a lot of very common um, ailments that people find uh, can be tied back to the deficits within the endocannabinoid system, not just autism, other neurological and physical conditions as well. Um, uh, even cancer. Balancing your endocannabinoid system is honestly crucial to physical and mental health, and it's not something that's discussed nearly enough. Nobody uh, talks about it, and that's so, one of the reasons why I think we not we don't need to call it medical marijuana or adult use cannabis. We just need to start calling it. We need anandamide reform because then people will be like, Ooh, "What's anandamide?" Yeah, well, it's, we all need it. We all have it. In my in my opinion, with the no knowledge, uh, no knowledge. Um, of the neurological role of the endocannabinoid system in everyone, including the documented deficit of andanamide in those diagnosed with autism, it seems undoubtedly feasible to me that cannabinoid-rich organic extracts from cannabis can be used as useful agents for targeting the pathology of autism and many other neurological conditions in general. Because like I said, autism comes with a laundry list of symptoms and conditions. This condition alone being widely accepted for cannabis usage is a segue for a wide array of other physical and neurological conditions to be accepted as well. So, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's another domino effect, honestly, uh, because this condition entails so many other symptoms and conditions in, in itself. And yeah. I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that the endocannabinoid system is part of, you know, you're, if you're deficient, you're not going to always have autism. You could have cancer. You can right. have. Uh, GI systems. I mean, the imbalance caused all kinds of, yeah, anything. That's but, what I, that's kind of what I was saying is it's, it's yeah. tied to a wide array of not even just like cancer. It's just like even just like regular common illnesses that you can have. And targeting the pathology um, of autism is honestly something that is, is crucial to uh, being able to treat these debilitating manifesting uh, conditions that are associated with it. So in my, in my opinion, I conclude that families and physicians should have the authorized right to navigate and explore these options yeah. without fear of le legal repercussion, despite one's age or severity of autism spectrum diagnosis. Um, it's, <laughs> we're not criminals. We're parents. We're people. We're everyday civilians. Like, and it's, it's my child <laughs> is no different than any other child walking around this planet, this earth. He's a beautiful, wonderful six-year-old little boy. The only thing that separates my son from yours is he has a deficit of andanamide that causes him to have a wide array of symptoms and conditions that correlate and tie back to his core autism diagnosis. Giving our families better options to be able to manage these symptoms and conditions, meaning giving our families better quality of life, giving our children a better, better quality of life, giving their siblings a better quality of life, giving relief to our school systems, our hospitals, public education, just the Department of Dis you know, Developmental Disabilities that are all over our nation. Just in general, it's a, it's a mass scale effect that this is going to have. Improving the quality of life for those diagnosed doesn't just improve their quality of life. It improves the quality of life for society overall. And 
addressing this is imperative and not doing so leaves behind hundreds of thousands of innocent children. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this and speaking the good word. Uh, you know, we were talking in the green room, green room. This is one of our first condition centric episodes. So I'm happy we had somebody so energetic and mobilized. So thank you so much for coming on too often. People don't, you know, consider anything until it happens right to them, you know, directly right. to them. So thank you so much for speaking up. Where can people come and find you uh, at the Autism Alliance of Ohio? I have, I um, actually built and created my own website. It's autismalliance.ohio.com. Uh, you can find information to volunteer, reach out to me, ask questions, uh, find information about Ohio's progress, about uh, House Bill uh, 641, which is the legislation we have introduced or to um, find out what you can do in other uh, non-autism friendly states to get advocacy rolling um, in any way, shape or form and have a conversation be started. Or even if maybe somebody's curious about um, just their child and just have questions in general, um, they can also reach me at Autism Alliance of Ohio at gmail.com. And yeah, I'm very receptive to answering any questions. Awesome. Thanks again. We're going to throw those links in the description. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. We will see you on Wednesday for another episode of Cannabis Legalization News. Thank you.